But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I'm 13, sorry. <laughs> on that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, sorry, when, they, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. be seated, and I'm going to pray once more. Father, I pray that you, as our God and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, you, the Father of glory, that you would give us your spirit now, the very spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you enlighten us that we would know the hope to which we have been called, that we would know the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, what it means for us to be your sons and daughters, to be 
this, this love gift you gave to your son. And that we would know the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we come to the final message in our Meals with Jesus series. We've spent, oh, I think today is the, the sixth one. Um, we've spent, so six weeks t- total, including today, looking at different instances in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus has a meal with, with people. And uh, one of the things you've heard me say most of the weeks is that uh, for Jesus, and it's really the subtitle, which you see there on the screen of the series, when Jesus ate with people, it was more than a meal. It was more than just him needing some fuel for his next you know, trip up to Jerusalem or you know, for some place he was going. Um, when, when, when the gospel writers, and specifically Luke, because that's where we've been, uh, when they communicate to us about the meals that he has had, um, there, there was a purpose, there's a reason uh, for those being included. And of course, that comes from the Holy Spirit inspiring or, or moving uh, Luke, in this case, to write those incidents down and those accounts. But there's things for us to learn, things for us to see, um, to grow deeper in understanding who Jesus is, why he came. And of course, he told uh, us that he came to seek and save. He, he said that he came to ransom uh, people for himself, to give his life as a ransom. But he did that in the context of Meals, And so today we, we bring uh, this series uh, to a close. Uh, Lord willing, next week we are going to begin uh, a new sermon series that'll take us right up just to uh, the first couple weeks into December. It'll lead us toward Christmas, and it's going to be a series in the Minor Prophets. So we are going to go to the Old Testament. It's been a while since as a church we've been in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at those small books, those books that in my Bible stick, uh, those pages I don't frequent very often uh, the Minor Prophets, probably many of you, you can ag- agree and you can you know, understand and relate to that. And we're going to kind of do a bird's eye view uh, over each of those, one of the Minor Prophets, uh, one a week, and we'll, we'll answer why are they called Minor Prophets as opposed to the Major Prophets, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that. Again, that's the plan starting, starting next week. But for today, we're in the text uh, that you heard Jolene read to us from Luke 24. If you haven't opened yet, I would invite you to turn there. Luke 24, Um, and the title uh, in your Bible on the heading is essentially the title of this sermon. It's not very creative, Uh, The Road to Emmaus. But this is one of my favorite stories in in the entire New Testament. Uh, It's in Luke, obviously, and it's unique to Luke. But but this is an amazing, amazing story um, for for so many reasons. One, One commentator says this, this, this text, this account, is filled with dramatic irony. Okay, just ponder that for a minute. The dramatic irony. Why? Because we as readers and, of course, Jesus, the risen one, are the only ones who know what's going on. The two disciples that, that you heard, they, they are clueless. But we have this privilege of, you know, kind of knowing what's, what's happening. And even Jesus, I, even as you were reading it uh, a moment ago, I just thought, it's just funny, you know, um, just, just Jesus, you know, he's pretending a little bit, like not in a rude way. He's not being deceitful, but he, he's acting like he's going to keep going on and, and, oh, stay with us, you know, it's just funny. It's, it's a funny account. And yet within this 
fun account are just some rich truths for us, uh, for all of God's people. Um, and, and really, at the heart of it, it has to do with the scriptures, the scriptures, how important they are for us if we're going to understand Jesus. Um, people can hear about Jesus. People can, can study. Um, I was having a conversation with one of my kids this week about, about the Bible, and uh, he asked me a question I didn't know the answer to, and it was good. And, uh, and we had this whole back and forth about, you know, well, where should you find that answer? And, of course, his default was to go to Google and, uh, and get the answer. And I said, no, no, let, let's, let's look. And, and, oh, you were right, buddy. And so, you know, we found the answer. Uh, Google was right in that, that instance, in that particular question But but Google cannot, or any of the other search engines, because we know they're listening uh, to us, um, can't do the inside work that that is needed. And and what we see in this this incident is that um, it's it's the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, as they point forward to Jesus and about him and and the whole of Scripture. Uh, And then God has to do this um, opening of our of our eyes, the eyes of our heart, our spiritual eyes, to behold who Jesus is. Um, and, and so, uh, really, that's, that's what's going on. Um, but we need to see ourselves on this road, too. Even if we've been through this a bunch, and uh, um, we need to see ourselves um, in the steps of these two disciples, one named, one not named. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, and just ask that question underneath. Lord, what do you have for us? What do you have for us in this text? So, Let's, let's get to a little bit of the encounter. And it kind of begins in the first few verses um, with, with kind of, you know, what, what is going on? And so um, we'll jump in right there at verse 13. That very day, what very day is that? It's resurrection day. This is Easter Sunday, the first Easter. And so um, Jesus has risen, the tomb is empty, and the women have been to the tomb. Peter's been there. Uh, and, and it says the, the next verse, words there, um, two of them, two of who? Well, two disciples, uh, not two of the apostles. Remember, it's important to keep that in mind. Um, the disciples, we always have to say, well, who are you referring to, person who says disciples? Uh, sometimes disciple, we saw this last week in our story, it was a synonym for the 12. Sometimes the writers are calling the disciples the 12, and, and it's an equal one-to-one correspondence. But uh, generally speaking, disciples were anyone who were following Jesus. Um, And in this case, the two of them are two disciples, not part of the the apostles, the 11 that remain, but that larger crowd of probably a couple hundred people who had been following master teacher, rabbi Jesus. They they were believers, and they lived in a village, we're going to learn here, it says in verse 13, named Emmaus. Emmaus. Um, We aren't exactly sure where that is today. Um, uh, it says there that it was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and, and archaeologists and scholars have found a couple of possible sites, but it was just to the west of Jerusalem. And so these followers, uh, we, one of them is named for us, Cleopas, and then um, his companion might even have been his wife. We aren't sure. It could have been a husband and wife that had, had been in Jerusalem for Passover. They had been followers of Jesus at some point, but, but their Lord had died on Friday, and, and their hopes were shattered, like all the others, and, and they weren't part of the 11, and so they, they finished their worship, and the Sabbath is over, and now they're on their way home to this town, this village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. What, what is the seven miles from here? I was trying to think about it this morning. 
Tillsburg about seven miles, or is that a little more? Maybe Windsor, you know? Uh, let's just go with Windsor, like give or take. And don't ask you know who, how far it is uh, on your phone. But, or maybe Katata, you, you looked it up, thank you, okay? No, I didn't. Okay, well, we'll go with that. Whichever way you want to go, up or down, north or south. Imagine going on a walk down to Katati or going on a walk up to Windsor. That's a pretty good walk, right? If we all walk about three miles an hour or so, we're, we're talking, you know, uh, two and a half hours-ish or something like that with some rests. Um, and so quite, quite a journey that, that they are on uh, as they head to uh, Emmaus from Jerusalem. And it says this, verse 14, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were talking. And then notice Luke adds, and discussing together. And, and Luke's being very polite. Now, the word discussing can mean arguing, can mean debating. There, there was a degree of, you know, what, what, what happened and why and all these things. This Jesus who we followed for three years, he's gone and Rome and, right? I mean, there's, there's all this stuff going, going on that they're talking about, discussing, possibly debating, And then it says this, right in the middle of verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Notice the the, the tense there, the passive tense, were kept. Uh, It's not that they were choosing not to recognize Jesus. No, it's it's as if God had a plan, had a reason Um, whether it was because Jesus and his resurrected body looked a little different. For whatever reason, uh, God kept them in that moment, in those moments, those hours of walking from recognizing him. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, what's this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? I mean, and if they were having a bit of a heated argument, maybe, you know, as Jesus approaches them, you know, he overhears a little bit of voices being raised, you know, and hands flaring, and, and he just walks up, and what, what are you talking about? And then it says they stood still looking sad. So that kind of brings us then into the heart of this story. And the first thing I want us to see as we get into verses 18 to 27 um, is that Jesus... He calls them, yes, but, but us too, us as well. He calls us to believe the scriptures about himself. So verse 18, after Jesus has asked, what are you talking about? And, and they stop and they look sad. In verse 18, one of them, the named one, Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days, are, are you clueless, stranger? Um, one, one commentator wrote this, imagine being known for asking Jesus whether he knew about the crucifixion. <laughs> I mean, just think about it later. And this, again, is the, the irony in this story. Imagine in a couple hours when, when, when this guy, Cleopas, knows who it is, and then he thinks back, I asked Jesus if he knew. <laughs> yeah, he knew. Yeah, he knew goes on, verses 19 to 24. Um, Jesus says, what things? And they, they said, and now they, they proceed to kind of unpack what has just happened. Well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man 
who was a prophet, mighty indeed, speaking of his, his miracles, his signs, his healings, all of that, mighty in word, right? Jesus was known as one who spoke with authority, not like the other teachers. He was a man and mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. It's always important, by the way, to truly think this through. You know, who, who's responsible for Jesus going to the cross? Well, right here, the chief priests and rulers, they delivered Jesus up. Uh, but of course, Rome was the executioners, so they were responsible. They did it. Of course, our sins are the whole reason. And ultimately, God in his sovereignty gave his son. So ultimately, God is responsible. And yet, there's human culpability. But they understand. Um, Their religious leaders were the ones that wanted uh, Jesus dead. And of course, the gospel writers talk about that. They were looking. They were looking to trap Jesus so they could, could kill him. But we're all guilty. We're all responsible. Verse 21, we had hoped that he, we had hoped, our, our, our hope was in him, and it was this, that he was the one to redeem Israel. That, that idea of, of the Messiah, the promised one, redeeming God's people, goes way back, way deep into the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. God was the redeemer of Israel who promised uh, to redeem them from exile, and that's all throughout Isaiah 41, 43, 44. The psalmist speaks of it. Psalm 130, verse 8. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so that was their hope, that that when Messiah comes, he would redeem, he would restore them. And and really, like he would free them from this uh, control that Rome had on them. And so that was their, their hope. We had hoped. We were following him for some three years. But then notice what they say right in the middle of verse 21. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. The third day since his death, his crucifixion, his burial. The third day for Luke is the day of resurrection the day of redemption, the day of the, that promises are realized. From multiple biblical antecedents, we learn things like how Isaac is delivered from Abraham's knife on the third day, Genesis 22, verse 4. The Lord comes down and meets his people on Mount Sinai on the third day, Exodus 19, 11, 15, and 16. Hosea proclaims that the Lord will raise Israel on what day? On the third day. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. And Jesus himself predicted he would be raised on the third day. Luke 9, 22, 18:33, 24:7, and 46. These two not only are prevented from recognizing Jesus physically, but also do not perceive the significance of the words that they are saying. 
not realizing that the matters they discuss have been fulfilled. That long quote is from Thomas Schreiner. The third day, the third day. The third day is important to us Christians, yes, but, but there again in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, were these moments where God shows up on the third day. And so again, the irony for these disciples who say, besides all of this, it's now the third day. And in their mind, like, it's been three days, right? Nothing's happened. They they don't realize uh, what they're saying. Moreover, it says, in the middle of 22, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And so again, these two are just reiterating the bare-bone facts of what has happened, and they, they don't see Jesus literally, recognize him. They don't see spiritually. They're just reporting what has taken place. But here it comes, verses 25 through 27, Jesus' response. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. School is in session in a way that school has never been in session. And it's fun to just imagine what that would have been like uh, for Jesus to open the scriptures, to start talking about how in Genesis, through the end, these things pointed to him. And the way uh, Luke puts it, he says, beginning with Moses and all the, the prophets. Now, I want you to do something. If you have a Bible, whether it's digital or paper, keep your hand in Luke and then go to the table of contents. So you probably have, you know, some preparatory sections, but then you should have a section in your contents called the Old Testament, uh, 39 different books there, and then uh, the New Testament, and of course, 27 books there. Um, in our Bibles, uh, our Old Testament begins with Genesis and ends with Malachi, and, and probably, if yours is like mine, there's, there's no other divisions there, but um, we, we divide these up, right? The way, the order, you have... Um, the, the, the beginning books, the history, uh, and all of that right at the beginning, and then we move into the, the writings, more history. Then you get to um, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, time of the exile. So, so again, you kind of move, kind of historical, if you will, kind of the timeline. Um, Genesis moving its way through the time of the judges, and of course, in, in all of that, you've got the Exodus and Egypt and whatnot, then the kings uh, preceding, or sorry, following the judges, the kings and then the time of exile, and so forth. And then you get to, to Job, um, which we aren't exactly sure historically, like where to put it chronologically. Um, many think it happened way earlier. But then you have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the, the, um, the prophetic books, or excuse me, the, the poetic books, the poetry section. And then come the prophets. 
um, the big three, uh, or four or five there at the beginning, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and, and Daniel, which is prophetic, but it's also got some history, and it's apocalyptic, talks about the future. And then Hosea, and that's the first minor prophet, which we'll look at next week. And then at the end, Malachi, not Malachi, not an Italian, but Malachi there at the end. Okay, that's how we break up, how editors have broken up our, our Bible. Well, um, the people in Jesus' day, they, they didn't have it divided up that way. The reason I take you there is because uh, their Bible is, is divided up a little bit differently, okay? The Hebrew Bible, Old Testament as we call it, was divided into three sections, okay? Not four or five or whatever we have. Uh, they had the law, the Torah, okay? Then they had uh, the prophets, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, but Nevim in Hebrew, something along those lines. And then they, their third section was the writings, the Ketubim, okay? Uh, again, forgive my mispronunciation of, of that. So Torah, Nevim, and Ketubim. So you have T, N, and, and then a K. And then if you put in there some vowels to, to say it, each of those first letter uh, comes with the word Tanakh, Okay, so that's the Tanakh. If you ever hear that, that's just a way of identifying the way their Bible was broken up. And, and it's a little bit different than ours. The point is this, uh, what, what Jesus is doing here, what Luke is saying here, is that as Jesus, beginning with Moses, right? So beginning uh, with uh, the law and all the prophets, He interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's not only going to the first five books and then only going to the prophetic books. It was a way of saying all of it, all the scriptures. Jesus weaves his way through different parts and shows how they pointed to himself. As I already said, school is in session and what a a class that would have been saying it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. Again, that was something uh, most uh, Jews in Jesus' day didn't think would be true of the Messiah. They didn't understand passages like Isaiah 53 that we think of that that describe the suffering servant. Um, They didn't understand that to be true of Messiah, that he would would suffer. And yet, uh, Jesus says it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. And again, he makes his way through. He calls them and he calls us to believe the scriptures about himself. If we are going to understand Jesus, who he is, what he's done, we we have to understand it from the scriptures. Not just from what people say about him, uh, Christian or non-Christian, not just from, you know, the bare-bone facts, but but it's got to be what, what God's word says about Jesus. And in this first movement here, he calls us to believe the scriptures about himself. But number two, Jesus also reveals himself to them, but to us still today. He reveals himself to us. That is, in the language of of Luke, he opens our eyes, the hearts, the eyes of our heart to see and to believe him. So we'll continue at verse 28. So they drew near to the village, right? Their their seven-mile walk, two-plus hours, has come to an end. They're drawing near. And Jesus acted as if he were going further. Verse 29, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is 
evening, toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so Jesus went in to stay with them. Uh, again, in their minds, they've enjoyed this time, having the scriptures opened and, and all that this person has been teaching, but good Middle Eastern hospitality, they, they needed to invite Jesus to stay, uh, and it would have been the right thing to do. Verse 30, when he, now this is speaking of Jesus, was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. There's those words that we've looked at in our series. We saw them uh, a month ago when we looked at uh, the meal that Jesus had where uh, he, he instituted the first Lord's Supper. Very, very similar wording. We saw this um, with Jesus when he fed the 5,000 when he looked to heaven and broke the bread. Um, Luke is picking up that language in all three accounts. And it's fascinating too to note that even though these two, maybe again, husband and wife, have invited Jesus in. They're, they're the host, if you will. That once again, Jesus, he kind of takes over. He at the table took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And again, this is that, that foreshadowing of that messianic banquet. We looked at it briefly last week from Isaiah, the time when he will come back and wipe away tears and, and make right all the wrongs we will have this meal and this feast with him. That's why one of the things I always try to say when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, even like we'll do in a few minutes, is to remember he promised he's coming back. Yes, we look back at what happened, but we look ahead because he's promised to come and he will do that again. And so as he opens uh, the bread, breaks the bread and blesses it and breaks it, it says, verse 31, and their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. A little bit later, we're not going to look at it today, but Jesus appears back in Jerusalem with the apostles, and, um, but, but he miraculously chose to leave right, right at that moment. But their eyes were opened. Now, let's, let's just kind of note what, what has happened, and I think this is... God's intent and how Luke has put it. Jesus has opened the scriptures, explained the scriptures, and then he takes the the meal that he has instituted just days before and and breaks the bread. And and in the scriptures being explained and opened and the bread being broken, their eyes, their eyes are opened. And there is a truth here, again, for us. It is uh, Jesus' desire to reveal himself to us as uh, our hearts are opened to see and to behold him. I love this, this line. Jesus, then and now, meets them, meets us in personal fellowship and communion. Verse 32, their, their response, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And then here's the same word, while he opened to us the scriptures. He, he explained, that's what we say it means, but it was the same word. Their eyes were opened and he had opened the, the scriptures. He had, he had shown how they point to him. And that, that idiom, did not our hearts burn? Again, that uh, could speak of the, the grieving inside as, as they were st- starting to understand as he was walking and explaining to them, uh, as there was conviction happening, 
Or it could mean something like there was this urge to respond. They just, they had to act upon what Jesus was saying, to have God's word opened in such a way, and then in that meal to all of a sudden to behold him. Um, pretty, pretty astounding, pretty amazing. The third movement is then that Jesus, having uh, opened their eyes, their, their hearts, when he opens ours, um, it leads to something, and, and we see that in the third movement. Jesus sends them, but he also sends us in response out to share his good news. And so in the final kind of movement of, of this part of Luke 24, the Emmaus Road, it says this, that they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. Having walked two plus hours, now it's getting dark and this meal happens, but they recognize they, they've got to get back. And so they, they get up, they return to Jerusalem. It says they find the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. And the 11, the grammar makes clear, verse 34, that it's the 11 that are saying these things. The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And then the two told the 11 what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And in their minds, that's, that's the whole deal. Their hearts burned as Jesus opened the scriptures, explained the scriptures, but it was in that meal, that aha moment, that, that they realized who he was. As we, as we transition here, I'd like to ask uh, Rich and Dennis, if you could make your way through the congregation and make sure everybody gets some communion elements this morning. And as we prepare, um, just hang on to it. Um, we try to most weeks take this meal together, and so I'll, I'll give us the instructions. So just hang on to your, your cup there for now. But again, hear, hear the point in this, this story. It is through a knowledge of the scriptures as God opens our eyes, the eyes of our heart, that we understand who he is and what he's done. And there's something about being gathered with God's people when we eat this meal together, that, that, that God shows up and does something miraculous as we are gathered to commune with the Lord and with one another, to have this fellowship that we have with God because of Christ, and we have fellowship with one another, which again is why we eat together and drink together. It's a, it's a fellowship meal. It's a, it's a, a family meal. Two, two observations before we take and eat together. Um, this whole book, from the law, from Moses, from Genesis, to Revelation, that, that final prophetic book, apocalyptic book at the end, uh, the whole thing is about Jesus. It's definitely not about me. It's definitely not about you. Um, there's a lot of things in this book for us, promises and encouragements and things to not do, things to do. But there's this one storyline that weaves from start to finish. And that's one of the big points we have to hear Jesus saying to these two disciples and to us that the scriptures point to him. Jesus was never God's plan B. Uh, he was never, a, oh my goodness, uh, they sin, now what? Well, the second person says, I'll go. You know, no, like it was planned. In fact, in Revelation, um, it speaks of, 
the, the slain one from before the foundation of the world, the lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. That's before Genesis 1.1. And so in, in this book that for us today is, is two books, two testaments, two covenants, the old, the new, uh, filled with history and prophecy and poetry and letters and, you know, all of it. it. It's about and points to Jesus. Number two, um, we, we need to trust that this tells the right thing about Jesus. We, we don't need some other special revelation uh, about him, just as it was enough for Jesus to explain to those two what the Hebrew scripture said, and then what, what Jesus tells the apostles that they're going to write and they're going to communicate what, what they've lived and seen, and we have that in, in the New Testament. It, it is this book, this book that reveals to us what we need to know about, about God, about Christ, and our trust needs to be rooted in it. Experience is wonderful, and we do need to have him open our eyes, and there's something that happens. We, we call it illumination, when, when we read the scriptures, maybe when we hear the scriptures in a sermon, um, at a conference, you know, where, where, where God's spirit causes our spirit to say yes and amen to, to what God is saying, that, that illuminating thing. And that can sometimes be subjective, and, and maybe we have an experience that feels like burning, and God's got to do that. God's got to cause us to, to say, yes, this is true, and I, I'm in it, I believe it. But we have this, this meal as well. We have this, this meal that Jesus gave, as I said a month ago, the first Lord's Supper. Um, Jesus, on that night, he took bread, maybe something like this, and, uh, and after the meal, after they had eaten, he, he, he instituted this, this additional thing. And, and it's interesting, I didn't have time to point it out, but probably there in Emmaus, when Jesus is dining with Cleopas and his companion, they probably ate a meal, and then Jesus took some bread and, and, and did this thing. And we see that in Acts, and that seems to be the historical record. Uh, the early church, they would eat and gather, and then there would be breaking of bread because Jesus said, um, this bread represents my body broken for you. And then he would take some wine and he would pour it, and he would say, this represents the new covenant in my blood. And as you take this bread and eat it, and as you drink this cup, you, you are proclaiming my death. You're proclaiming what I came for. You're, you're looking back and remembering, but you're, you're promising into the future. You're remembering the promise that I'm, I'm coming back. And so we're told to do this meal in remembrance. So let's pray, and then we will take and eat and drink together and sing one final song. Father, Please help us trust your word. And please give us understanding. We thank you, I thank you as a pastor for the scholars that exist who can plummet the depths of your word and bring out details to help us. But, But if you don't, open the eyes of our hearts. You don't open my heart. I I can't say yes and amen to your word. I can't see how they point, the Old Testament scriptures point to you. I I need you. 
And I want to trust you and take you at your word and have my eyes opened. I want that for our church. And when that happens, Lord, may we worship you. May we respond with joy and what it means to see clearly in your word. And Lord, as we also take this meal and remember what you've done, but also the fact that you're coming one day again and you'll share this meal with us. May, may you nourish us now in these elements, this bread that represents your body and this juice that represents your wine. You came to go to the cross and pay for our sin. You came to live the perfect life that we can't live, but you came to be our substitute so that we don't have to die in our sins, but that because of your perfect life and then your death and then your resurrection, which is the vindication of it all, we can be forgiven and made right. And your righteousness can be imputed to us. And so we, we glory in this meal. We thank you, Jesus, for your body given up for us. We thank you for your blood shed for us. In Jesus' name. So let's take together, knead the cracker. And then let's take together and drink. And would you stand as I pray once more? Thank you again, Father, <clears throat> for the meal. Nourish us by these elements that, that proclaim the gospel. Nourish us by the truth they teach. Nourish us by your word. And as we as a church venture into the prophets over the next couple of months, show us Jesus, I pray. Show us your will, God, show us your character and, and show us, teach us how you would want us to respond all because of your grace that's for us in Christ, but what, what your word has for us, your people. Living today, living in Santa Rosa, Sonoma County in the year of our Lord, 2022, your word, your word is still relevant for us and we look forward to seeing that. In Jesus' name.